Genesis 1, 26 to 30. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be faithful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. There will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food and it was so. Thank you for that reading. That's great. Okay, my name's David. I'm uh, one of the readers here. Okay, and I'm preaching to you this morning about faith and the environment. That's the theme. And we kind of this theme already, haven't we? So, to start with the question, what kind of world would you like to live in? What kind of world would you like to live in? Okay, is it a kind of use certificate kind of world? You know, one where you're only ever faced with mild risk. You know, no adult themes to worry about. Um, moderate threat. Okay, or perhaps you'd like to live in a, a PG type world. You know. One where the accidents do happen, but the airbags always deploy, and so no one gets hurt. And, and whatever you choose to do, no harm would actually really come to you. Where your choices, unfortunately, obviously aren't real ones, because someone else is controlling your destiny to stop you screwing things up. Okay. Or maybe you'd like to live in a, an 18 world. Okay. A world where you have real choices. Uh, a world where those real choices have real consequences. What kind of world would you like to live in? While you're thinking about that, I'm going to give you an example of, that, that it, it sort of elaborates on this. So who, who here has seen the film called The Truman Show? Anyone seen The Truman Show? Quite a lot of you. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to give a brief synopsis of it. Probably give the game away a bit, but... It's kind of important to understand this. Okay, so the story of The Truman Show is, is, an, is an early film by Jim Carrey. He looks really young in it, actually. I looked a bit at it the other day. Um, and it's the story of a TV director who is effectively, the, effectively God, the creator of the real, a reality TV show that's set in this huge artificial dome with an artificial sky, an artificial weather, and, a, and an artificial town, and an artificial sea. And it stars a little boy called Truman, okay, who's born into this world. And it's a kind of fly-on-the-wall soap of how he grows up and he, how his life is manipulated by the TV director to make good TV that's then shown all around the world. And his is the only non-scripted part. So all his family, all his friends are actors, okay? And everyone in the show... And all its viewers are aware that it's false, 
and that Truman is the only one who thinks he's living a real life. Okay. What sort of world would you like to live in? Okay. Um, and as he grows up, okay, he begins to spot the continuity errors. Because when you're lying to someone comprehensively like that, it's really difficult to keep it consistent, isn't it? And he spots those inconsistencies. And he starts getting suspicious. And his behaviour, as you can imagine with Jim Carrey, becomes more and more erratic in order to try and push the boundaries and try and find out whether it's really a real world he's in or whether it's not. And eventually he's, he hits on a plan. He thinks, right, I'm going to get in a boat and I'm going to sail on this sea and I'm just going to keep going. Right? Because if it's a real world, I won't hit a wall. I won't get anywhere. I'll get, you know, we'll come up with something. So, and God sees this, works out, the TV director guy works this out and goes, oh, I've got to stop him, I've got to stop him, otherwise the show's going to come to an end. So he sends a storm and it's all very exciting. Of course, all this is on TV, right? Everyone's watching this around the world. Um, and no, he carries on and his boat gets through the storm and then it hits, literally hits the wall of his world. <laughs> okay. And, and he just a bit puzzled. And he, he, gets, he gets out and he finds steps and he walks up the steps. Um, and there's a door at the top of the steps. And it's got exit written on it. Okay. And then God speaks to him from the sky. It's really the TV director from his director's office. Um, saying, don't, don't, don't go through the door. Don't go through the door. I'll, I'll keep you safe. I'll keep you safe. I, you know, I've cared for you. I've known about you since you were little. I'll keep you safe. Don't go through the door. Stay here. You'll be fine. You'll be the star of the show. So what does Truman do? That's the question. Okay. What sort of world does he want? Does he want a safe world where he really isn't, control, isn't in control and the real choices are made by the scriptwriters? Or does he want to step outside this artificial world where the future is genuinely unknown? and risky, but where he feels at least it's real and the choices are his and he makes real choices and real consequences. And at that point in the film, you, the viewer of the film, and everybody who's watching the TV show, okay, are going, yeah, open the door, get out, go on, go for it, break freedom, you know? And, and it's that bit of the film that tells you what sort of world we really want to live in, okay? And that's the genius of the film, because it tells us we want to live in a world that's an 18-type world, where we do have a say, where we can make real choices, but where there are real consequences. So if you think about this a bit further, you can't make free choices in a world that's random or disordered. It has to be an ordered world. See, if I decide I want to do A, and the consequences might be B, C, D, or E, and I don't know which those consequences are because it's a random world, I can't make a meaningful choice, can I? So you have to have an ordered world to make meaningful choices because you've got to anticipate the outcome. So you need a predictable world to make the choices we want to make. But similarly, if you want to make the choices you want to make, you have to live in a world where good outcomes might not occur. Because if whatever choice I make, if I make bad choice A, and I still end up going in a good way, and then I make bad choice B, and I still end up going in a good way, and I make bad choice C, and I still end up going in a good way, I haven't really made a choice, have I? Okay. 
So to be in a, a world, the kind of world we want, it has to be predictable and it has to carry real consequences, bad consequences sometimes. So, so being free genuinely entails the effect, cause and effect, and the possibility of bad choices. And we want to be able to make our own mistakes, to, to feel that we're not being modicoddled. And this feeling is really deep-rooted when you think about it. You try and tell a three-year-old who knows they want to do that, that they don't, that they don't, they should do something else, you know. We really, it's very deep-rooted. And God has said to us in creation, yep, that's the kind of world I've made for you. That is your kind of world. Because I know deep down that's the kind of world you'd want to live in, okay? It's part of being made in God's image That's because we're free. Because God is radically free, so he makes us in our own image. And we feel that same sense of wanting to have control of stuff. Now the thing is, whether you're in a social environment, or whether you're in the the, the environment, there are certain choices that are good to choose to follow and will have good outcomes. So if you want to be really free, you have to have the capacity to make a real choice, right or wrong, but you also then need to be able to make the good choice to get the best outcome, otherwise you'll, make, you'll, you'll have bad outcomes for you. And so God goes, God, God knows this, so he gives us the Ten Commandments. He says, look, if you want to live in a way and make free choices, that's great, but you do need to make them in a certain way, otherwise it's going to be horribly wrong for you. That's just reality. If you don't make good choices, sooner or later bad things will happen. If you decide that bearing false witness is something you're not going to, you know, you, you, you're bearing false witness is okay, sooner or later your society and your government is going to crumble because that's the nature of the reality that God's put us in. And similarly, if you make bad choices about the environment you live in, sooner or later it will come back to bite you. And this is our problem, isn't it? We've dominated the world rather than exercise the dominion that God gives us over it. We've subjugated the world rather than subdued it. The dominion that God gives us is given as creatures created in God's image. But if what you mean by subdue is crush things, or if you mean by dominion is exploit things, then you're not doing it in God's image, are you? And scripture is balanced. The rule that we exercise, the dominion that we exercise, is not domination. Subduing is not flashing the life out of. We must exercise the dominion that God has given us and the rule that God has given us in the way that we are made in his image. So our dominion, our rule over creation, is supposed to be creative. It's supposed to be life-giving. It's supposed to be generous, just as God is. We are to subdue creation in the same way in which God subdues us. Dominion is not a license to kill whatever, but a permission to manage what is God's, as God would. Creation is given in grace to be handled with grace. But if you make the wrong choices, there are consequences. And the Bible spells this out. I thought I'd read this passage to you from Deuteronomy. Very short passage. 
Deuteronomy 28, uh, verses 21 to 23. Okay, it says, The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever, with inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, and will plague you till you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. Okay? Climate change scientists have been predicting the kind of things that happened this summer for the last 40, 50 years. Moses was on it 3,000 years ago, you know. Um, we're, we're a bit slow. There's, if you want to be cheered up, there's another 44 verses like that in Deuteronomy 28. Um, but the point is, there are consequences. God has said, look, I put you in this kind of world. There are going to be consequences if you get it wrong. And he's warned us about it thousands of years ago. We're really slow to learn. You know, God goes, I wonder if I can teach them that slavery is a bad thing. I know what. I'll free a whole nation from slavery and see if they get the message. Hmm. 3,800 years later, humanity goes, oh, might be a good idea not to have slavery anymore. Uh, we're terribly slow. God doesn't want the bad things to happen, right? But the reason it can is because God wants... The, God, the, reason, it, the reason it can is not because God wants to inflict suffering on us. If he did, he wouldn't bother telling us stuff like Deuteronomy. He just left us to get on with it. The point is, we live in a, in a world where God made us free to choose. And the future is genuinely open. But the world we live in can go either way. But that's the way it has to be if we're to have the find of freedom and live in the kind of world that we want to live in. If God, if God creates a structure like a godly social organisation in which we are blessed by making certain choices, then in a free world, departing from that is going to have negative consequences. And the way in which the ecology is organised is the same because they're all connected. And there are certain things that need to be that we need to do right and be stable if we're going to get the blessing that, that accompanies it. And that is what the climate crisis is, isn't it? We've not taken God seriously. You know, we live in a carefully structured ecology, and we're only just beginning to understand the interconnectedness of all things. If you don't believe me, Google after the service, Google Mother Trees and see where it takes you. Google Mother Trees, absolutely amazing. The complexity of the world in which God has created. Okay. But if we dominate it rather than exercising godly dominion, it'll start to fall apart. So, we're in the climate crisis. How do we respond to that? Well, there's several ways, aren't they? The first one, usually, is denial. You know? It's, I mean, it's got a... You know, we're into Genesis 3 here, aren't we, really? Um, uh, why did you do that? Oh, it wasn't me. The woman told me to do it. Um, oh, it wasn't me. It was the snake told me to do it. You know, we, we deny. We pass it on, don't we? Right? Okay. Um, so we've got denial. I'm not going to engage in arguing about whether there is a climate emergency. There is. Okay? Some of you may have seen that this nonsense about the World Climate Declaration being up on your Facebook this week. It's garbage, people. Okay, given what's happened around the world this summer was predicted, and has been predicted for years by climate scientists, and the virtually unanimous opinion of people who really do know what they're talking about is that we are in a serious situation. Climate change denial is just dangerous. Don't deny it. 
But Christians are prone to another kind of denial as well, a sort of theological denial. Okay. And again, I'm not going to engage in arguing with the theology of end times, which says, oh, it doesn't really matter because Jesus is coming anyway. Right? Partly because that's just really bad theology, and it's an excuse for abandoning our God-given responsibility to care for God's world, having just trashed it. But it's dangerous as well, because if we don't act, millions of people are going to suffer, including us, okay, and our children. And this isn't about denying the second coming, right? It's just that if you're expecting the second coming with a climate crisis, um, then Jesus literally says in Matthew 24:44 that he will come at a time when you're not expecting it, right? So if you're expecting it, wrong time, okay? The point that Jesus Jesus warning us like this is to motivate us to live up to our Christian calling, which includes stewarding God's world in case he comes, to motivate us to do it better, right? It's not giving up on it because he is coming, right? That's the point of it, and that's why he tells us you don't know when it's happening, to keep us on our toes, that's the whole point, okay? So once you've got over the denial and the theological excuses for our behaviour, we start making other excuses, don't we? Once, you, once you've accepted that it's happening, okay, you go, oh, well, wasn't me. Wasn't me. I'm not responsible. You know? I burn a tiny, 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 tiny amount of fossil fuel. I recycle. <laughs> um, but I can't make a difference. It's not little old me. I can't make a difference. Well, one that's beginning to feel a little bit more understandable is, I well, can't really afford it, actually, okay, in, this, in this situation. But think about it. If your hospital rang you up and said, oh, we've got your relative here and they're bleeding to death, um, and you're the only one with a matching blood type, what are you going to say? Oh, sorry, can't afford the bus fare. What are you going to do? I know it's hard, but you're going to find a way around it, aren't you? You're going to find a way. Okay. And one of the things that those of us who are better off are going to have to ask ourselves this autumn is, how do we do both? How do we help those who are less fortunate than ourselves that Jesus commands us to do? And how are we going to exercise our responsibilities to look after God's world? How are we going to do both? That's a real challenge that we need to get our heads around. And there is only one biblical message for this, isn't there? This kind of stuff is repent. Yeah? Look for ways to tread lightly, both to ourselves and to encourage others. Just as we changed our minds about who Jesus is when we became Christians, we need to change our minds about how we treat Jesus' world. Okay. And the problem is, it's about everything, isn't it? I mean, I produce greenhouse gases from both ends, right? As Sarah will tell you, right? It's, it's about how we consume. It's about what we consume. It's about what we throw away, whether we throw it away, how we throw it away. It's about whether we recycle, how we recycle. It's about travel. Having a little discussion with Sarah about me travelling this week. It's about how we clean ourselves, whether we clean ourselves, what we clean ourselves with, you know, 
it's about your workplace. It's about your school. It's about what your local government does. It's about how you vote. It's about how we invest, Church of England, how we invest. It's about how we use that energy. So what sort of world do you want to live in? We all urgently need to reassess how we are living in God's world and stop putting it off. We need to ask ourselves, what are the good choices for God's world that I can make starting 